5, uh, we're going to be reading Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. And this is your opportunity to tell whether or not we're reading the right thing. Because all I've got is this piece of paper that came from the office. Evening That day, when evening came, he said to the disciples, let's go over the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and, the, and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher! Don't you care if we drown? So he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Thanks, John. That was great. Good everyone. I am, I'm amped about this passage. I reckon this is one of my favourite passages in the whole Bible. Uh, I hope at the end of tonight it's one of yours as well. Let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your word and the way that you speak to us through it. We thank you especially for this word that we have before us tonight. And We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, what do you fear? What do you fear? There are lots of recognized fears in the world. Some of them are fairly obscure. You might be aware of them. Acrophobia is not one of those obscure fears because it's the fear of heights. The fear of heights. It's one of the most common phobias of them all. Somewhere between 3 and 6% of us, in fact, will have a fear of heights. I wonder if anyone's willing to admit they've got a fear of heights in here tonight. There's a few hands. There's more than, that's more than 6%. There you go. Didn't expect that. I'm not, I'm not afraid of heights. I actually went skydiving for my 18th birthday. You might see a photo of that a little later on, if you're lucky. But Chris Gursky, if he wasn't afraid of heights before, I'd say he probably is now. Back in 2018, he and his wife uh, went on a holiday to Switzerland for, uh, for a couple of weeks. And the very first day that they arrived, he decided to see the scenery by going hang gliding. Hang gliding. Unfortunately for him, his instructor forgot to attach his harness to the wing. Whoops. It's like, it's hard, you know. There's lots of things to remember as a, as a, as a hang gliding instructor. Strap the guy you're taking into the wing, being probably one of the first things you want to make sure you do. But because of that, Chris, what, not being strapped in, he, uh, this is what happened. He was forced to hang on to that thin metal bar, dangling a kilometre above the earth with one hand. The only thing separating him from death. Now, I wonder, how long do you reckon you would have been able to hang on for if you were in Chris's situation? He had to hold on for almost two and a half minutes before they managed an emergency landing. In the end, he only got, he got away with a couple of minor injuries. Crazy. Who's scared of heights now? <laughs> I can't imagine the kind of terror that would come over you 
the moment you realized, I'm not strapped in. Jesus' disciples face their own kind of not strapped in moment in our passage tonight. It's a life and death situation, like it really is. And it's the context for one of the most extraordinary moments in Jesus' life, which is saying something, because the dude had a lot of extraordinary moments. Now, if you missed the memo, or if it's your first week with us, great to have you here, by the way. We are in the book of Mark. We started our journey in the book of Mark this time last year, and we've come back to it again, the start of the year, to keep trucking our way through. And the first half of the gospel, as Scott's already said, is all about answering this question of, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, short little passage tonight. That question is actually asked three times in three different ways. Don't you care? It's the first question. The disciples ask Jesus. Why are you so afraid? Jesus then asks them. And who is this? The disciples end our story with. Who is this? Now, each one of those questions actually touches on the identity of Jesus. We're going to handle each question in turn, and then we're going to come back through and work our way as we look at some answers. So firstly, don't you care if we drown, the disciples ask, right? Now, Jesus has uh, just been teaching. The last two weeks here on Sunday, we've, we've kind of uh, we've, we've waded through that teaching, Parable of the Sower. You might remember if you were with us two weeks ago. By the way, if you weren't, you can go back and catch all of those sermons on our podcast. It's a great way to catch up if you miss it. But they come to the end of the day of this, this teaching, and Jesus decides they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. Now, a bunch of his disciples were fishermen by trade, so I can't imagine it was too hard them kind of finding the boats that they needed in order to, to make the trip across the sea. But then we're told, in verse 37, take a look with me, it says, A furious squall came up, massive storm, a megastorm, a hurricane. And storms were common in the sea, over the Sea of Galilee, and, and they, they remain to be this day. But this storm was something else, Mark is telling us. The waves were so big, massive amounts of water were just being dumped into the boats over and over. And with each dump, the boat, you know, slowly starts getting lower and lower in the water. And, and the waves are coming faster than they can manage to bail the water out. And so there's really only one way that this is going to go. Eventually, these boats are going to sink. You can kind of imagine the scene, can't you? As the wind and the, and the rain and the waves are kind of lashing the boat, the disciples would have been furiously uh, you know, bailing water out of the boat with a bucket or grabbing the oars and trying to navigate through the waves as they come crashing into them. It's, it's, it's panic stations. It's desperation. And it's basically the complete opposite of what we see Jesus is doing. The complete opposite. The guy is actually taking a nap out the back. He must have been pooched from his day of teaching, right? This is the only time in the whole gospel where it mentions Jesus is sleeping and it happens to be in the middle of a deadly storm. And then, it's not even the storm that wakes Jesus up. Did you notice that there? The disciples are the ones that come and shake him awake. And as they wake him, they're incredulous, I reckon. Maybe even furious, just like the storm that they're in. You know, the pages of Scripture don't give us the tone of voice that they use, but I reckon they would have been ropeable. Teacher, 
they say as they shake him awake. Don't you care if we drown? You know, I think it was only this week that I realized for the first time that the disciples aren't asking Jesus to stop the storm. They're not asking him for a miracle. I think I always thought that they were. But, I mean, he ends up doing one, doesn't he? And, and they're surprised. So that's not what they're asking him to do. I think they actually just want him to grab a bucket and get bailing. It's like, Jesus, we're all about to die, mate. Would you get up off the cushion and actually help us stay afloat here? Otherwise, we're all going to die. And you can kind of get where they're coming from, right? Like, who decides to grab some shut-eye at a time like this? So what they're actually doing is telling Jesus off, which in their culture is actually a fairly bold move to rebuke your teacher. It's not something that, that you did lightly. And I think it actually just speaks volumes about how panicked and how fearful these guys must have been, how desperate the situation was. Which is, which is where we come to the second question and the issue of fear that was gripping the disciples. See, once Jesus is awake, he gets up, he does his thing, the storm stops, the danger subsides, crisis averted, and then Jesus answers their question. He hasn't said anything to them yet, but he answers their question after the storm has been stilled with a question of his own. Verse 40, what does he say? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, at one level, like, it's a pretty stupid question. The whole lot of them would have been kind of lying there on the, the deck of these boats, trying to catch their breath, soaked to the bone. Some of them might have still been bailing the water out of the boat so it didn't sink. And Jesus wants to know why they were so afraid. It's like, mate, take a look around. Were you even paying attention? We were moments from drowning. I mean... Many of these guys were like hardened fishermen, right? In their own boats, out on their own lake. Like, like they were the best placed to work out how much danger they were in. So what is with Jesus' question, right? Like, he's not saying, toughen up boys, you know, it's just a bit of water, she'll be right. That's not what he's saying by questioning their fear. What he's doing is he's using their fear to take a look under their hood. What does their fear reveal about what's going on in their hearts? Because, you know, our fears, they often reveal a lot about what's going underneath for us, don't they? What's happening under our surface. I want to just take a moment for yourself and, and, and ask Jesus' question of your own heart. Why am I so afraid? What's causing me to fear in this moment? Ask yourself that question. Maybe your fears are about you. The fear of failure, of not meeting your goals, of not reaching to a certain level of success, or of not being able to live up to your own standards and expectations. Or maybe we fear that we're inadequate in some way, maybe in lots of ways. And that kind of fear, it drives us to maybe not try, maybe to give up, or maybe to become so self-obsessed, so inward-looking, everyone else just becomes an afterthought in our lives. 
Or we can end up just driving ourselves into the ground in the name of winning. Is that you? Or maybe your fears are more dictated by others, right? So you're so fearful about disappointing other people or letting someone down. You might fear disagreements because of that or criticism when it comes. And so we shape our whole lives around trying to kind of impress or satisfy someone else out of fear, really. Or it could be circumstances that you fear. So, you know, like outcomes or events or, or even accidents that kind of are outside our control. They just kind of happen. And, and so it could be about our health. It could be about our safety. It could be about something else. But, I mean, this circumstance has been a big one for our whole world these last two years, haven't, hasn't it? And, and that fear can lead us to do and, and even to give up all manner of things, in order just to kind of feel safe and in control again. What is it for you? What are you fearing right now? Why are you so afraid? It could be as simple as fearing the future. I think that's a big one for, for me, actually, if I'm honest. I mean, I can spend so much time worrying about the what-if, rather than dealing with the what is. Are you like that? So much emotional energy going into what might happen. And the more I think about it, the bigger the problem seems to get. Have you noticed that? And my fears about the future can actually end up driving that problem bigger and bigger. And when it comes to the future, there really is no greater fear than the fear of death, is there? The end. Because we all know it's coming, but we don't know when. That is a fearful thought. And the disciples certainly felt that fear in our passage, right? In the middle of that storm. That was the fear that was gripping them. And Jesus questions that fear. Not because the waves weren't big, right? They were. Mark tells us they were sinking the boat. He questions that fear because of the way that it revealed what they thought of him. You see that? And it brings us to the third question. In verse 41, who is this? The disciples asked each other. You know, even the wind and the waves obey this guy. What? You know, so far they'd they'd seen sickness obey him. He'd been healing people. And they'd seen demons and spirits obey him because he'd been casting them out of people. And, and, And all of that was extraordinary. But it wasn't unheard of. There were other people bashing around at that time who were claiming to be able to do the same sorts of things. But this business with the storm, it's, it's on a whole other level. Like a whole other level. It's not even playing the same game. There was no one walking around Galilee at that time rebuking freak weather events. Let alone those freak weather events then going and obeying <laughs> that person. Like it wasn't a thing. It, it was an impossibility. Because in, in the ancient world, the weather, and particularly the, the ocean, the sea, it was universally considered by ancient cultures as this great, untamable, chaotic force. It was dangerous, and it was deadly, and there was, there was no way for mere mortals to control or harness its power. Only the gods could wield its power. That was the kind of vibe, right? And that's actually 
That's actually the sense we get throughout the Old Testament as well. That exact same thought. So back in the very first chapter of the Bible, the very first verses of the Bible, we get this sense, right? It's God's Word, God's Word spoken out over the chaos of the formless waters. And it brings order, the order of creation into being. Let there be light, right? That's how it starts, with just a word, into the chaos. We have order. With just a word, here we all are. And this, this is what God does. And, and it carries into the Psalms as well. Singing of God, they say things like this. You rule over the surging sea. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. So when Jesus stands up in the middle of this hurricane, as the waves are crashing into the boat and, and the deafening roar of the wind is like the only sound anyone can hear, and he tells the storm, shh, and it does. You can imagine the disciples just staring, dumbfounded at this man in their boat as, as, as the rocking slowly subsides and it's now the silence that's deafening. Who is this that, that, that he can tell off a storm as if it was just some noisy kid? Now, I've heard this passage preached where the takeaway is something like this, Jesus can calm the storms in your life or even Jesus will calm the storms in your life. And that, that's a nice thought and he certainly can, but it's actually not the point of this story. This is not the story of how the disciples got their courage back. I'd like to read that story. It's not this one though. Take a look with me at verse 41, the final verse of the passage and notice the word, third word there, terrified. Literally in the Greek, it's mega fear. They had mega fear. That's after the storm stopped, right? You get that? It's after the storm has been stilled. These guys are left more fearful at the end of the story than they were in the middle of the storm. Who is this, they ask? Well, he is the Lord of creation which means you're in his world, which means he's the boss. And, you know, when you come to realize that, when that fact actually starts to shape your life, that's what it means to fear the Lord, which is a, an expression the Bible uses over and over again to, to, to describe what it means for us to stand in awe of God and to behold his power and his majesty and his might and to acknowledge that I'm in his world. And that he alone is worthy of my worship. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And the disciples end this story with that kind of fear. Terror at the power that Jesus has. That they didn't realize he had. Now they don't fully get what they've seen. It's a long road for them to actually work out what's going on with this man. Okay? But they get a glimpse of it here. And they know something's up with him. And the fear that they have doesn't make them want to jump ship like when they're in the middle of the storm. Because you see, fearing the Lord makes you want to actually cling to Him tighter. 
It doesn't drive you away from Him, it actually draws you into Him. And in fact, the greater our fear of the Lord, the more you're going to be willing to place your trust in Him. When I went skydiving for my 18th birthday, told you it was coming, here comes the embarrassment. There we are. There was genuine fear at hurtling myself out the back of the plane, right? I, I said I wasn't scared of heights, but when you're on the edge of that plane looking down and there's just kilometers between you and the ground, right? You're a little bit scared. You're a little bit scared. And yet, I jumped. And I stuck my tongue out as well at the same time. I jumped. Now, why did I jump? Because more, more than fearing the free fall, I feared the guy I had strapped on my back. I feared his experience and his skill with the gear. I feared the hundreds of hours of training that he'd had to do. And I feared the value that he placed on his own life. My fear and awe of him actually overcame my fear of the free fall. So I put my trust in the guy strapped to my back and out we went. Now, if that's with a skydiving instructor, how much more should that be the case with us and God? No? So when Jesus asks his disciples, why are you so afraid? He's not really asking them a question. I mean, Jesus does that a lot, right? He'll ask a question, but really he's saying something. And he's telling them, there is no need for you to be afraid. Why? Well, because he was in the boat with them. The Lord of creation was in the boat with them. And I mean, what threat are the wind and the waves when you've got the one who created them in there with you? He was in their boat. And he's in our boat as well. So there's no need for us to fear either. Paul Tripp is a, a minister in the US. He's got a book called Awe. He says the word awe over 500 times in the book. Just a warning if you end up reading it. But he says we're engaged in an awe war. An awe war. I really like that. And basically he describes how our fear and our awe of God is in this constant battle with all of the other fears and awes that we have for the things around us. In this constant battle, right? We're in an awe war. I was thinking, flicking through the book this week and I got stuck on this quote. He says, the only thing that has the power to defeat fear is fear. Only when the grander fear of God rules your heart will you be free of all the little fears in life that chip away at you. How good is that? The only thing that has the power to defeat fear is fear. You see, in the face of our fears, whatever they might be, whether that's to do with yourself or to do with others or to do with your circumstances or the future, whatever they are, when fear of God fills our hearts, then all the other fears, they really should melt into the background. So perhaps the better question than what do you fear is who do you fear? Who do you fear? Because if you've got the Lord of creation in your boat... What else is there to be afraid of? Now, let me be clear. 
this passage doesn't promise us smooth sailing. That's what happens, right, in Mark chapter 4, smooth sailing. But for those disciples in that boat, (laughs) the rest of their lives was anything but smooth sailing, was it? And Jesus doesn't promise us a comfortable and safe life. In fact, he actually promises us the exact opposite. We are going to face danger, we are going to face difficulty, and we will fear sometimes. What he does promise, though, is that he's going to be in our boat. However wild the storm might get, he's going to be there in the boat. And he promises that ultimately, eternally, on where it matters the absolute most, you will not sink. You will not sink. So whatever fears we might face, whatever fears you might be facing right now, tonight, all of them must always submit to the greatest and grandest fear of all, our awe of God and the faith and trust that we put in Him. As we finish tonight, I just want to offer us three quick things to help us keep our little fears in check. Some of these might be helpful. Firstly, have a go at unplugging. Now, I know Scott touched on it last week. I'm not going to bang on about it, but we need to be upfront with the fact that these things often feed into our fears. You ever notice that? Like whether it's the news or social media or just that endless stream of advertising as we're scrolling past, people are making money off our fears. Did you know that? Fear drives our consumption. It's big business. And the cruel the cruel irony of the whole thing is we often go to our phones or to our screens in order to get away from our fears. When actually going to those places often ends up fanning our fears. So find some intentional time, if you can, to unplug. See what difference it makes. Number two, I reckon we need to work hard to unhurry. I loved how Claudia opened prayer because it was just hitting that nail on the head, right? Most of us are pretty terrible at slowing down. Most of us trying to cram more into our lives than we really have time for, whether it's study, whether it's work, whether it's pleasure. We find it hard to not just buy into our world's obsession with rushing and rushing and rushing. But here's the thing about that, right? Just from a physical and mental standpoint, like if you're always pushing the envelope, always burning the candle at both ends, always run down, stretched out, under the pump. You will not be fighting fit when it comes to dealing with your fears. And in fact, those are the conditions when your fears will thrive the most. I'm going to talk more about this point at the all-in night on Wednesday night. But at the end of last year, I had a lot of fear going on about myself, about others, about circumstance, about the future. All of them were there (laughs) in one way or another. Coming out of three lockdowns, facing the prospect of having to start again at the beginning of this year, my fears were, were weighing so heavy, I reckon it was the lowest point in my seven years of ministry, if I'm being honest with you. I told Belle, and she said, you actually just need to go away. So I went away for two nights, and I I just stopped. That's probably the biggest thing that I did. I stopped. I spent the whole first day away without even knowing what the time was. And it was unbelievable. 
the, the impact of just not knowing what the time was had on my heart. How much of a difference it made to my little fears when I decided to unhurry and focus on my big fear of the Lord. It, it was massive. Till the end of that story, if you come on Wednesday night. But if you're in a similar place that I was back then, maybe give going slow a go. Lastly, I reckon some of us might need to unload. What I mean by that is that we actually need to share our fears with others. Firstly, with the Lord. I mean, what better way to demonstrate that you actually fear Him the most than by coming to Him and saying, here are all the other fears I've got. What can you do with them? Name them. Write them down. Pray them to Him. Unload onto Him. And then find someone else or another group of people that you can do that with too. Maybe check first before you start unloading. That could get awkward. But commit to regularly reminding one another that we've actually got the Lord of creation in our boat and that He cares about us. And with that, we come to the, f- the first question, actually. Back to the first question that we started with. That the disciples asked Jesus in the raging storm, Teacher, don't you care? Jesus is, answers them by, by saving them from the storm, bringing order to the chaos with nothing but a word, because of course he cares. That's the answer to that question. Of course he cares. More than they could possibly comprehend. And it would be less than three years later that he would demonstrate just how deep that care went. When on the cross he brought order to the chaos of our sin, to the mess of our rebellion, to the brokenness of creation. With a word, it is finished. And the shedding of his own blood, Jesus stilled the ultimate storm didn't he? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? More than we can ever possibly know. Came upon uh, a hymn this week by the 18th century songwriter John Newton. Turns out he didn't just write Amazing Grace, he actually wrote 250 hymns. Prolific. I want to end with a stanza from this hymn. Never sung it before, but I'd love to because I love this verse. The, the hymn's called, I Will Trust and Not Be Afraid. Perfectly captures the confidence we can have in the storm when we know who's in our boat with us. Here's how it goes. Be gone, unbelief, my Saviour is near, and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and He will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. Friends, the Lord of creation is in our boat. Let's pray. Father God, what an amazing little story. What a little insight into Jesus' life with his disciples and the insight they gained that day on the ocean when your son stilled that storm so tremendous lord that we can still draw from it to this day and be reminded of who your son really is the lord of creation and that he is in our boat he is for us he is with us and he will not let us sink for those of us lord who are gripped by fear 
in this room tonight or online tonight. Father, we pray that you might minister to their spirit with this word, that you are with us no matter how wild the storm might get. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing in response.